Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Vish and Creative Control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Vish's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, Uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as though he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like, what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Give it up for Mr. Sam Creative Control with Vish Comic. Sam Morell is a gifted and popular stand-up comedian, writer, and actor based in his hometown of New York City. Through a dedicated tour schedule, hard work, and sheer force of will, over the past 20 years, Morel has developed a following for his quick wit and bold jokes, which led to him appearing on various late-night TV talk shows, including Conan and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And you may have seen or heard him acting on TV shows like Inside Amy Schumer and Ten-Year-Old Tom, 
or in Oscar-winning films like Joker. He has hosted podcasts and shows like We Might Be Drunk, Games With Names, and People Talking Sports, and he was recently a guest on the Netflix show That's My Time with David Letterman. Morell has released four excellent stand-up specials to date, including 2020's unique pandemic-era time capsule, Up on the Roof, and his 2022 Netflix special, Same Time Tomorrow. His always-busy tour schedule brings him to the 2023 Just for Laughs Toronto Festival for a show at Meridian Hall on September 21st, ahead of many other American and Australian fall dates. And so Sam and I connected for a good talk about things like why he doesn't drive, but can usually get where he needs to go. Growing up in a blended family in Manhattan and his relationship with his biological father, how our parents measure our own success, how he got into comedy and looking up to people like John Mulaney, writing jokes for the New York Pace, attention spans and the classic Oppenheimer versus Barbie debate, the time David Letterman asked him why he chose to release some of his comedy specials for free, why he took to different roofs to do comedy shows in 2020, and whether or not the Beatles' famous rooftop concert inspired that idea, the writers and actors' strike and greed, perspectives on Canada, his next special, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol. If you can support the show, that is the primary source of revenue I get from doing this podcast. So again, visit my Patreon and uh, donate today if you can. Thank you so much. Plus in-kind support from the likes of uh, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planted Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 802 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Sam Morell with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hey, Sam, how's it going? How are you? It's good. I'm well, thank you. Where in the world are you today? I'm in New York. I'm at home. Nice. How are things? You're, you're from there, right? You've always lived in New York. Always, always. Ever think of going anywhere else? I don't function well elsewhere, and I also, I, I'm limited in my options because I'm a terrible, terrible driver. You, you talk about this in your uh, brilliant uh, specials from time to time. Uh, see how I slipped in a <laughs> compliment you. there? Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> they're they're fantastic. I love them so much, and my wife loves them so much. So uh, we bond over your stuff. It's really great. But Thank no, you, what, what, man. why no uh, why no driving skills? Do you figure as a road comic, you think you need them? You, you think, but not really. I mean, I I can get anywhere flying by train by you know a car. Especially at this point, I can bring someone to drive, and I think I always just look at the time I'm losing from like, I'm, I'm pretty busy at this point. So it's, it's hard to make time. I mean, the only time you feel it is when you're in like some small town and they're, they're like, Oh, we don't have Uber. And you're like, you don't have Uber, <laughs> you know? So you're just like, ah, shit. What are, I, your options are like literally I, at one, I remember I was leaving a gig in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I leave reasonably early for flights, but 
I was like, this is a small town. This will be easy. I call, there's like Uber, one Uber in the whole town, 31 minutes away. Huh. You know, he's like completing uh, a drive, you know, but he's just doing it for everyone. So <laughs> I, I was just like kind of panicking. And, and I think the guy at the front desk uh, at the hotel, he kind of looked like Kenneth from 30 Rock. He just saw me panicking and he was like, what can I, what can I do to help you? And I said, oh, you know, I just, I'm panicking because I'm going to miss my flight. And he's like, I'll drive you. And I was like, so that's, I'm literally, you know, I'm at the mercy of some like nice small town guy. I'm like, you don't have to worry about the hotel. He's like, no, there's another guy. And I'm like, all right. I was literally like, if this is how I get murdered, I kind of deserve it. But, uh, you know, it was a nice gesture and he drove me there. That sounds lovely. That is a nice uh, little slice of Americana. That's the America that we all strive for, isn't it? Appleton, Wisconsin, just the kindness. <laughs> I've always relied on the on the kindness of strangers. Now, uh, you're younger than me, I figure. Back uh, before Uber, we had taxi cabs. Do, you not, do they not have them in Appleton, Wisconsin, where you could call a cab? You know what? This has happened to me multiple times <laughs> on the road where, like, there's, like, one cab in town. They've stood me up. Really? Huh. Yeah, they're not reliable sometimes. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, we're, we're booked, you know? Mm-hmm. So, no, you know, I try to take... Taxi cabs only in New York. I try to avoid the Ubers. Just I know like the cabs are flawed, but there's this weird nostalgia and loyalty. Uh, so I try to just only take yellow cabs in yeah. New York if I'm doing just because the Ubers are the cab drivers got fucked, man. No one, no one in the city protected them. Well, I mean, there's a lot of DIY business now. A lot of people like renting out their homes. I mean, I think I feel like that's dying out a little bit. I've Seen a lot of criticism for Airbnbs. Do you mostly stay at hotels? I don't. I won't do it. No, I'm not. I'm not doing an Airbnb. I'm not. I don't want to sleep in like another. I, at that point, why not just stay with family? Yeah. You know, it's like you're not in a hotel. What I want in out of a hotel is if something goes wrong, someone to talk to about it. Right. I don't want to like DM some aunt to be like, "What's your Wi-Fi? It's not working." You know, I just want like give me a chain with like. Someone there's where there's a chain of command, and I can make sure that shit. There's accountability and shit is yeah. you know. That that good. seems seems reasonable to me. I don't want. I want to leave the transportation and and uh, travel subjects behind. But I I I can't help but dwell on this a little bit longer. Your driving thing because I love drive. As soon as I the day I turned sixteen here in Canada, I went and got my learner's permit. I couldn't wait to drive. Did you try to drive and fail? You say you're a bad driver, so you must have a license. You must have tried. I failed. Uh, I think I got it on my third try. Right. In the Bronx, and I, I figured it out. But uh, I, sh- I don't even think I should have passed the third one. I think she <laughs> she found me uh, entertaining, so she passed me. I think I, I went in. I was just like, please don't fail me. I've already failed twice. And she laughed. And I'm like, that's a bad sign that she's, uh, that she found that funny. And, uh, and then I, I definitely didn't do great. I must have gotten like whatever the barely passing grade is. I must have gotten. So I have a license, but I'm not good at it. Okay. So you, you are capable of it. In a pinch, you could do it, but you're not good at it somehow. It's a danger yeah. to society for you to be driving. Around. If there's a zombie apocalypse and I need to drive, I'll do yeah. it. But like, I if there's other people in the car, they're going to be like, "Pull over, I got this," you know. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sort of sad to hear this because driving is a great. Uh, well, you know what? You're probably doing a lot for the environment not driving. What do we put a spin on it that way? You're actually a saint. You're not contributing to the collapse of the world. What about that? 
That's something. I mean, I still take cars. I just don't. Right, that's true. You can put it this way: I don't, I don't kill the cows, but I still eat the meat. You know, <laughs> right? I'm still benefiting. Fair, fair, fair enough. So you grew up in New York. Did you grow up in the Bronx? Did you say I, I missed that? No, I grew up in Manhattan. I, I took the test in the Bronx because there's more space to drive. Manhattan is a tough place to learn to yeah. drive. There's so much congestion everywhere, and. uh God, how often did you say congestion? But uh, you, you get you get the FDR highways. You get a little bit of a rush if you drive the right time. But no, it's tough. <laughs> right. All right. So you grew up in Manhattan. I know from your your bits or your act, I should say. Uh, I think I know this. Raised by your mother primarily. Is that right? Well, for the first few years, it was just my mom. But then she met uh, who the man who's now my dad, and uh, he like the term is legally adopted, which is such a stupid term because that makes mm. it sound like I'm Oliver Twist or some shit. But it's you know, I was you know he married her, he had two kids of his own, and you know we became a blended family. So I have a brother and a sister who I guess you know technically stepbrother and stepsister, but we did away with those words because it's like what's the What's the point? But then when you show up with a sibling with red hair, they're kind of like, you two aren't related. And I'm like, oh, no, we, we're not related. But but that, you know. You're related. It's just a bad connotation, I feel like. The step-sibling, it just sounds bad. So I just we're just like, fuck that. We just won't do that. Right. But I remember meeting my sister. She's got red hair. And I remember meeting one of her friends we were just like at a, a we just met at some like party and she i was like oh that's my sister and she was like no it's not and i was just like it is i'm like what what kind of like what kind of scam do you think i'm running here yeah like yeah it's my sister and she's like but you guys don't look alike i'm like well i don't know no you've heard there's only there's not only nuclear families there's other types of families so i had to explain this to a woman eight years older than me that uh, there's other types of families. I know you don't know anything different because that's how you were raised, but do you reckon that that, uh, that family dynamic gives you any unique perspective on the world? I mean, it sounds like you schooled this older woman a little bit about how things actually work, <laughs> yeah. but does it help I you navigate that? Does, does it help you navigate life maybe in a different way than those of us who, who didn't have that experience? No, I, I, yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, you know, but I, I think I've said this before on podcasts. I, I think when you're in a blended family and especially you're the youngest, you know, you don't realize how weird that can be. So I think they probably had a greater understanding of what was happening than I did. And there was a lot of, you know, quiet dinners at first because yeah. it should be quiet. It's a new family. This is you went from having your life one way and this is a pretty drastic change. So I would I don't think really notice that. And it would make a, I was loud and I would make a lot of jokes and I was the youngest. And I think they were like, you know there would be some nights they don't hit, but some nights they hit, you're kind of like, okay, I'm breaking tension. That's, and that's a lot of what a joke is, is the release of tension right. in standup. So I think there's, there's definitely like a need to connect in, in standup and in, and you know, a situation like that. So I, I recognize that. Yeah. I think that's probably has helped you then. I, I think the answer is probably yes. As a communicator, yeah, as a communicator, as a comedian, you grew up in an interesting and unique environment, and maybe that informs your worldview a little bit. Didn't mean to answer. Your, I think is, so. Is that, yeah. is that about right? Okay. So, when in your specials, yeah. I sometimes hear you allude to your father. Is that your biological father you're talking about? Like in a kind of a strained way? Is that is that possible? Oh, I say if I talk about him, I say biological father. If I say my dad, I mean my dad okay. who raised me. Because okay. I don't, yeah. I don't recognize. You know, he. You know, on The Simpsons, Mo, Mo, there was originally a guy who wasn't Hank Azaria. He lost the part. You know what I mean? Sure. And Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria is Mo. 
Oh, okay, I got it. So it, like, he was he wasn't cast as Mo, but yeah. he's Mo. So I the guy who who got the job is that's my dad who raised me, you know. Yeah. And my biological father lived in the area, but I didn't meet him till much older because I was dating a, a woman uh, in college who was a psych major, and both her parents were psych uh, psychiatrists. And the, every conversation they they at dinner they'd be like, "How have you not?" met him how have you not and she was really fun to date because when we would argue she would pull this move she'd go who are you really yelling at and i'd be like you <laughs> not <laughs> but that was her way of being like it's this you have problems because you haven't met him so i, I got like pushed into meeting him yeah. and you know when someone like that leaves usually you know i have i have friends who are in similar situations and i think they are just like, well, I don't, I have no curiosity about this because I have a feeling they left for a reason. I mean, my, my friend Joe DeRosa is the best joke about this because Joe is actually adopted, like mm -hmm. actually out of an orphanage. And Joe, they say, don't you ever want to meet your real parents? And he goes, no, I took the hint, actually. <laughs> it's a great bit. But, you know, in my case, I guess, you know, I wanted to because I thought it would be, you know, I, I felt a little pressure to, and I think I felt it was the right thing. It wasn't a pleasant conversation with my mother, but... Yeah, I felt it was the right thing to do, and that was that. And, But those people, if they leave, it's usually for a reason. And it's not like... My dad was so confident about it. He wasn't like... You know, my mom wasn't thrilled about this, because I think she had negative feelings about him. Yeah. And it's protective. I think when you face the world as a single mother for a number of years, of course you're going to have this protective instinct. But my dad was kind of like, you know... It'll be fine. Like I'm, like I'm. I feel secure as your dad. I'm not threatened by this guy, which I think was was helpful. Hmm. And then, uh, yeah, he's that person is not in your life for a reason. And there's so much catching up to do in a way that's not real. It's not doable. They've just missed too much. So yeah. I, I don't think the anger is there. But there are moments where his wife will reach out to me still, and his wife's a very nice person. But it. I, you know, I, I have very limited time in New York City. I feel like sometimes a failure as an uncle and as because mm. I'm just not around enough just due to my crazy, you know, road schedule. And I you just have to prioritize the family that was there. Yeah. So not to mention every one of my fucking friends has a podcast now. So they're just like, dude, I saw you have an open Thursday and you're like, yeah, this is better than relaxing. Let me go to your fucking place in Queens and bang this out. Literally your friends who have a destination wedding and then are like, and I have a, a podcast in another borough. And you're like, cool, pick one. Thanks. Uh, and, and so, you know, my, so, so meeting my biological father was like, you know, I'm glad I did it, but it was ultimately one of my first jokes was, you know, as you've probably heard this one is, is, is your biological father a good person? I said, if he were, I probably wouldn't refer to him as my biological father yeah. because it's like, yeah, that's the, you know, he's a dude. The weird thing is that he's the only guy who looks like me. You know what I mean? My uncle kind of looks like me on my mom's side. My grandfather on my mom's side kind of looked like me, but he's like, he looks a lot like me. Right. So it's weird when they're like the dude that looks most like you, you're kind of like, ah, we're not really that alike. And of course we have similarities, but it's not, you're just not the type of person I, I aspire to be, it, it, to put bluntly, I guess. Yeah. 
I, I didn't mean to delve too deeply into this, by the way. I just wanted to get a sense of your background. Yeah, a sorry, bit. you got you got me going <laughs> no, there. Holy shit! It's 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 the podcast culture, maybe. Uh, no, hard hard to, hard to jump back into driving after that one. I guess. <laughs> Let's get back to driving with your uh, biological father. No, um, no, no. I appreciate that. I guess I wanted to get a sense of where you kind of came from and how you got into comedy. Uh, a lot of the comedians I've interviewed in my life have come from complicated upbringings, complicated backgrounds. Uh, and I get a sense of that from your act and from your special. So I appreciate you yeah. sharing all of that with us. And I appreciate your candor. It didn't feel, and I should say this, it didn't feel complicated growing up. It felt pretty good. I mean, I feel like I had a pretty good childhood, especially for a comedian, I had a great childhood. I mean, you see some of my fucking yeah. friends, but, uh, you know, I, I do feel like I had a pretty, like I'm, I'm my family. They're all pretty. The one that, is around me is pretty uh stable and, and you know and they're smart and they're and they're good people so i i'm very fortunate i will say the vibe i get from uh you is that exactly smart good guy you know Thanks, in man. this day and it i'm by far the dumbest person in my family <laughs> i mean it's like i mean talk about black sheep syndrome they're all insanely intelligent and uh i have a different type of it's more for me it's more like you know I can write a witty joke, but I think they are like, you know, they are, they're Ivy League lawyers and shit. And I, for me, it was like, mm -hmm. can I make, can I make drunks in a, in a bar laugh was more my, was more my, uh, I guess type of intelligence, if you call it that. It was more like, can I, can I have a witty turn of phrase or something? I don't know. So given your, uh, the educational pedigree you're describing, I suppose, uh, <laughs> was there pressure for you to go to school and take on, you know, a certain path? You'd think they were playing with house money at that point, but no, I think, I think my mom, cause I was the one that she brought to the family was very protective of that and ve very upset anytime I'd make a joke about being dumb. Mm. And I mean, she hated that. She thought if I thought that of myself, she hated that. She thought I had like low self esteem. And yeah, I, I think there was a little pressure, but also, you know, I think. Once it took them a minute to realize how serious I was about stand up because maybe I we were joking about this the other day we had lunch my parents and I and, and I said you know I really got into stand up because I think I was kind of a fuck up and I thought it was a way to drink for free <laughs> and I like jokes and uh, and then and then I realized how hard I had to work if I wanted to be a successful comic and that that really made it difficult you know because I didn't want to fail at this because I really love it so. Yeah, it's, it's just not the career or life I thought I would have, but I, I, I love what I do and I feel fulfilled by it. But yeah, I think my mom felt a lot of pressure until, until this started to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I remember like, I remember when it, so funny the shit that parents find impressive because it was, it's not the stuff that you, that makes you like, oh my God, I, got, I, it's not like me getting on Conan for the first time, which for me as a young comic, I was like, oh my God, I get to do stand up on Conan, but, they'd see like a write up in the New York times and it would be like, not even particularly complimentary. I'd be like, my dad's like, you were in the times. I'm like, yeah, they said I had a lukewarm reaction and he's like, but it's the times. Yeah. Like they'd be so impressed that I just made print, you know? And, uh, I think that helped. And then one time I did a gig with, it's like a lot, this is many years ago, but I, Jim Jeffries took a liking to me when he came to New York and I, I looked up to Jim a lot and he was, he was just so nice to me when I was a young comic and, he asked me to open for him at this huge venue in Times Square, and we did two shows. 
yeah, my parents had never heard of him, but he it was a crazy good hour from him. Yeah. He did it. that was when he was doing his his gun material. He's workshopping yeah. it, so that became a legendary bit. And I opened. I had a good set, and I think they in their head they were like, "Well, this is a huge venue, and this guy wants our son to open." So that that takes the pressure off. Right. I think when when they see little things. It's funny uh, what that kind of external recognition means to us and and to parents. Uh, maybe six seven years ago. Before I moved to Edmonton, where my wife is from, uh, we were visiting, and it came. My wife was like, "So Vish to, to her parents was like, so Vish's show got mentioned in the New York Times," and uh, my mother in law was like, "Oh, that's that's something." And but my father in law said, "Oh, what does that mean?" And I had to be like, "Well, I I yeah. don't know what it means." He's like, "What?" Like his implication was, "What does that get you?" Like they mentioned you and your show. And, and meanwhile, the rest of us, like the New York Times, like just like your father. Uh, and I, it's interesting because like I, I was just, I was on a high from it and then instantly deflated. Oh yeah. What does it mean? Does it mean <laughs> yeah, more I mean, money? What does it mean? I don't know what it means. It means maybe you're on the right track. I think is what it means. And, I hope. And I think, I think your parents are looking, hopefully looking for reasons to be proud of you. And it's something yeah. that. That's something for them to tell their friends at dinner or something. I think that's how they look at it. I, yeah. I hope so. What, is, what does any of this mean? <laughs> what does any? Nothing means anything. I mean, there's no overnight success anymore, I don't think. It's, yeah. it's very rare because even if you go viral, it's not really sustainable unless you have the work to back it up. So I think there's nothing means anything is the answer. But if yeah. you keep at it and, and you keep hustling, you get more of those things and they add up, I think, is, is I, the hope. Yeah, that's how I look at it too. It's just interesting getting someone who's so far removed from this. Their their instinct is like, well, what does that get you? Anyway, I, I didn't mean to take. Yeah, it's also camp. it's also it's a shitty thing to say. It was a shitty thing to say, and I, I appreciate yeah. you saying that. I brought it up before because <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, it's something. It's not nothing. I agree. They, like they may I, as well just say, "Who cares?" That's what they're saying, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. In a way, let's jump back to this realization you made that uh, comedy was what interested you more than. I sorry, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Did you end up going to school for anything, and then I realized- went to school. I went. I went to college, but uh, no, I I was barking on the street at night, so I was handing out flyers on the street for comedy shows. Cause I wanted to get on stage and I thought that was a good way to meet people and get in. And, you this, know, it's, while you were uh, at college or yeah. Oh yeah. yeah nights, yeah. you know, and, uh, I would, I would hand out, you know, it's, it's humiliating. Your people, people would like the worst part is the people that would like pity you and like, kind of like, I remember I'd be, you'd be out there in the winter and I'd be a fucking kid with a little flask full of Jim Beam, just, you know, <laughs> like, and, and you want to be like, Sam, settle down. This ain't the Revenant. All right. You're on 108th and West End, you know, but you know, at the time you're like fucking just downing whiskey, like comedy show. And I remember a woman saw me and she goes, Oh, and I was like, Oh, that's the meanest thing you could do. That doesn't make me feel good. But you're, yeah, you're barking people in you're working on so yeah it was always all about like i really fell in love with stand-up and i and i wanted i wanted to be good at this it was it's not just like i want to be funny it's like i want to be it you know there's there's i want to be good at basketball and i want to play in the nba i want to be a professional is how i viewed it and that's why i i had friends who, who kind of came up in the alternative rooms at the time which were bigger but the alternative was didn't pay shit. They'd give you like a drink ticket. And to me, it was like, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to 
drink for a living. You yeah. know, I'm trying to I'm trying to find a way to to make a living at this, and and the clubs really at least got you on that path. I saw those those comics. I felt like the alt guys were kind of more at that time getting TV shows and doing stuff like that, but. The club comics were the comics at that time, for the most part, to me, that seemed to be doing The Road. And The Road is what the people who I respected were doing. So I was kind of on a mission to get on The Road. Mm. Okay. Can we put some names to – you've mentioned all comics, club comics, uh, people you looked up to. You referenced Jim Jeffries a few moments ago. Yeah. I'm just curious about the – so what you're getting at is uh, uh, you wanted to do right by the form. Uh, you yeah. you want to be good at it, but a professional at it. It wasn't just a a lark. So I just want to dial back to who inspired that work ethic. Who inspired you to be like, yeah, that's what I want to get to. I'm not trying to just do a who are your guys, sure. but I mean, sure, sure, you know, no, yeah, working working club comics. So of course, like you know, at that time, I was like, man, uh, Greg Giraldo and David Tell were such. They were such kind of grizzled road dogs who were so good obviously louie burr chris rock was a was a big star at that time but like you know i loved i loved his style of comedy but then you'd go to the clubs and you'd see geez any of those comics who were working the road got some guys who were a little i mean obviously a guy i looked at was the trajectory of a career like john mulaney which mm. was he was doing the road he was really funny he was He was kind of dabbling in both ends, though. He would see him going up at some clubs, but he would also be... uh, He he was an alternative room guy, I felt, a little bit, who just had the chops to work anywhere. So he's a dude, how could you not look at? He was so young and and honed and articulate and and funny, and uh, he just felt like a pro. So that, to me, was a cool look. Uh, He was on on the show... uh, I don't know, seven seven years ago, something like that. Huge thrill for me, but it was just it was interesting to just have a a, a chat with him. He's have you ever met him? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a super yeah. nice guy. I remember I bombed yeah. a corporate event once. He's so nice. I remember I saw him at the cellar one night right after I bombed a corporate event, and he's like, "Sam, how you been?" You know, and I, and I said, <laughs> "Oh, I just ate it at this at this at this event," and he goes. Oh, I hate that. He's like, let's get a booth. And he was just, he was, so, this is such a comic instinct. He, he yeah. saw that I was like a little rattled and was just trying to make me laugh yeah, and he's, be nice. And, he and, and he's seem, just, yeah, genuinely nice. I, that's my impression. I know as we're speaking, he's had a rough time of it. And then publicly, he's had a rough time of it for very, do you pay much attention to that? The kind of like, who's good? Who's a bad person based on public perception in comedy? Cause there's a lot of that now. It's very hard to do that. I, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, and also bad person, like you know, people. He got flack for the Chappelle stuff. He got flack for the, yeah. Sorry, oh, his marriage was, dissolved. And I found he, that to be anyone yeah. giving John Mulaney crap or giving Dave Attell a guest on the show. Chappelle, was, Chappelle, not Attell. No, that's what I said. Oh, oh I didn't say Attell. You said Dave Chappelle. <laughs> he gave no, Dave I, I meant time. Chappelle. <laughs> he should give it all well, Attell all the time he needs, but Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just thought it was like. Get a life. What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's uh, they don't realize that our bond as comedians just runs deep. So my instinct is to side with a comedian. Uh, of course, there's cases like, look, I'm not going to have Cosby drop in. But like there's th- you don't understand that like this bond runs deep. It, it is. 
it's complicated and, and also get a life. Chappelle's a great comedian. I, I don't understand. Uh, yeah, he's he may touch on topics that, that you don't like, but this guy is a comedy legend, whether whether you like it or not. And and then the other stuff with John Mulaney's marriage. It's like people that was get odd. divorced. It's, yeah, that was odd. I, I, I didn't, yeah, I, people feel invested in a way that is. It's like this is not your friend where you pick sides. This is a dude you don't know. But I, I guess that's the price you pay for being a public figure is that that is what will happen yeah. to all of us. And if you're lucky enough to get to the, the heights that John has got to. And, and I think he's a very rare example of a comedian who is so successful, but is still, you know, a purist at stand up and is is uh, widely respected. I think a lot a lot of comics can lose their fastball when they get to that level, but he's still, you know, very strong. Yeah, very funny. And uh uh I think you were alluding to the fact that he wasn't he was dynamic. He was a com he was known as a really strong writer for Saturday Night Live yeah. and for others. Um strong performer, like the like a, a good performer Everything. actor. Yeah, he yeah. had it all. So he is your is he's one sorry, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but he was well, one no, 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 no. He was yeah, he was one of the guys I looked at. Like, man, that must be that's a cool. You can do this. It's it's as simple as that. Yeah. It can be done. He's a good just example of a, a dude whose career I looked at. Like, well, we're different types of comedians, but I like how he did this. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Now you, I, I don't know if I'm incorrect in categorizing you as kind of a set up punchline guy. Like you're not. You tell some stories, but it seems to me that you're quick. And succinct. Is that an accurate characterization, would you say? I think I think coming up in the clubs in New York, you know, they're short sets. You're following so many good comedians here that uh, you can't really waste time. Yeah. You can't really just go up and be like, so I always think you have to just be like, so this happened. I got 15 minutes. Let's go. That's also the New York pace. It's like New Yorkers don't really suffer fools. I think this is a fast paced city. When people waste your time here, you're very annoyed. Like in the South, I think it's look, it's a, it's a Southern thing. You kind of take your time. You go to a restaurant. It's like a more uh, we'll get to you when we get to you in New York. It's like, hey, I'm waiting. That That is very much the energy of New York. And I think that's. It's reflected in the comedy style here. So, you know, when you follow comics who are bringing the heat, who the fuck are you to take your time is how I looked at it. So, yeah. And then you go on the road and sometimes your stuff becomes a little longer. And I, I think you need when you do an hour to have a different energy to, to just go at a machine gun pace for an hour. Yeah is not just kind of exhausting for you, but it puts a great pressure on the audience to, to just be there. Because then one line doesn't hit, and you're like, what the fuck, that one line? But maybe they needed to sit one out. You never know. Yeah. So I like to, to pepper in stories just to mix it up, yeah. to mix up the energy, to give them a breather. I mean, people, you don't think about this, but the attention span is really... I mean, it's it's just gotten it's gotten worse. Has it? Okay, here's the thing. I'll, I'll for all for all of us. Kinda. Here's my theory on this. That I, or it's not a theory. Here's my observation. We are told constantly our attention spans are shorter than ever. That's why you've got uh, TikTok and Instagram Reels. Everything's quick and hey, if you're gonna promote something, a minute tops, maybe thirty seconds. Meanwhile, what are we promoting? Hour long podcasts. Two hour long podcasts. Movies are longer than they've ever been. I'm a con I'm a little I don't know why I almost broke into an Italian accent and it was just misspeaking. I apologize to everyone. But my point is, what do you make of this? Is it are we confused well, about what an attention span even is? No, no, no. But here's here's how I counter that. 
yeah, Joe Rogan put a three-hour podcast, and what do people do? They put it on the background while they do other shit. I'm talking about stand-up. I need you to laugh on every line. Right. There's okay. a, there a different type of, at- of attention. Uh, I mean, look, I'll listen to a book on tape and I'll take a walk. It's 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 just a different type of thing as opposed to, you know, a book on tape. I'm not looking at the book. You know, I'll read on a flight. I'll read before bed sometimes. But it, it, it's a different type of attention. Yeah. Podcasts are longer because it's less of a commitment. It's kind of like, you know, you're sitting next to your partner on the couch, but you're both on your phone. You're hanging out, but then have her tell you a story. I, I don't think the attention spans there. Right. So what does that mean? What are we doing? Do you have any theories on this? Like, as a human, you know, as human beings, what are we doing? If we're not paying attention well, to each other, what I, are we doing? I agree. And then you bring up Oppenheimer, a movie like that. Yeah. You say long, they're longer than ever. That's an outlier. Yeah. That's a rare. That was one like movies are back in the theater. That's to me, it's different. But I, I think as we're speaking, I think it's going to make a billion dollars. It's been a huge success that three-hour movie. But that's but my whole point is that that's an outlier. Uh, that, I don't think that I don't think that's going to be replicated. And what what are the other ones that we? And I hope I'm wrong. Mm. But like, what are the other movies that make huge money? They're just huge budget. I mean, the fact that Oppenheimer is essentially a World War II movie without action mm-hmm. is insane to me. Yeah. I thought it was a very good movie. I'm just saying, like, I understand, like, you know. A, a, a war movie like Saving Private Ryan with all this, you know, action making huge money. But when you when you take this is more of a cerebral kind of slow burn, you know, political drama. So that that's what shocks me about it. And 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 I, I the other big budget movies are usually like a Marvel type movie that are like boom explosions, this all that. I don't. I haven't heard too many people talk about this because when the the two films Barbie and Oppenheimer were going to be released on the same day, I believe. People just decided, oh, this is a fight. And what happened was uh, Barbie just went bonkers, like headed for a billion dollar box office. And Oppenheimer kind of everyone was like, well, it failed. It didn't make it. But because of the weird, like grassroots promotion of both films as being connected, I think Oppenheimer, it's like a transport truck. Uh, what is it called when the, you, you drive behind it and it trails like it's carrying your car a little bit? I, I yeah. think Oppenheimer, like you're absolutely correct, but I think in the verna- in the current vernacular of associating the two movies, people just decided I'm going to see Barbie and I'm going to see Oppenheimer, and that's the only reason. It's they weirdly got marketed together. Does that make sense? It's well, also one's PG and one is, I believe, rated R. It must be R. There's nudity in it, and uh, I believe there's nudity. I saw Barbie with my uh, my family, my my two kids and my wife, and. It was good. I enjoyed it. Did you see the Barbie? I didn't like it, really, to be honest. I know yeah. I'm not the target demo, but I, I, it's it just it, look. It's tech, I like the director. Uh, I like Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach a lot. For me, it's not. I, I get it. I'm not the target audience. I yeah. also just think like there was just so much exposition. There was so much just yeah. uh, where I was like, I felt like that was in place of the funny to me. I just didn't find it. To, it didn't. It didn't make me laugh and. I was kind of looking forward to seeing it, expecting it to be really funny, expecting big laughs in the theater, and they it didn't happen at the theater mm. I went to. And mm. I also I think it had moments. I think Ryan Gosling is is actually a great comic actor, Canadian. He's a he's Canadian. Great. Yeah, he's also a Canadian I mean, uh, comic actor. Yeah, great in the Nice Guys. 
you know, yeah. comedic performance. Great in uh, Crazy Stupid Love. He really is a good comic actor, he, which is annoying because he's so handsome as well. But uh, <laughs> he, he's terrific. I, I'm a fan. And uh, it had moments, but I just was like, you know, I had someone lecture me like, you know, you're you're an idiot. That was a movie for kids. And I was like, well, they, they no, say the word pat- patriarchy about 14 times in it. So I don't know not, if that's true. No, it's not for kids. That's the confusing thing about that marketing. So my eight-year-old daughter... 12-year-old son, I'm not going to say my wife's age, but my, you know, we're in our mid-40s. We all went. Yeah. And my wife and I and my son are cracking up the theater. And you come to Canada, you'll see a, a, a showing where people laugh. Uh-huh. We're laughing at all the kind of whatever highfalutin jokes. And then afterwards, uh, we're, we're, we're talking. And my daughter's like, eh, I didn't really get it, I mean, which we, we knew kind of going in. But sorry, I should say we were on vacation in Ontario. We had no choice but to bring the whole family. Um, so we all went together yeah. one day. Anyways, you're, it's, it's, it is, it is weirdly marketed as a thing about a toy that is not about the toy. And so, yeah. I mean, my daughter asked questions about the patriarchy and whatnot. So it was actually great. We got to answer them and it was, it was kind of fun. Anyway, I didn't mean to dwell on that. I just want to say, I was thinking about your appearance on, uh, the David Letterman thing on Netflix, which I, I have to ask, hey, Sam, check this out. I got my Late Show with David Letterman mug. Oh, that's pretty cool. Huge fan that's of classic. Mr. Letterman. I got to go to one taping in my life when I happened to be in New York, uh, down from Canada. It was who, great. Who were the guests there? Everyone asked this. The guests were, and this is weird to me, it was Marv Albert and, oh. Katie, and Katie Holmes. No Ooh. musical guests, which is a bit of a drag. I would have liked to have seen what that looked and sounded like. Because I was actually there road managing a band, and I got to sneak away. I got standby tickets, which every New Yorker is like, you're not going to get tickets calling the toll-free number i'm like i'm gonna try i'm gonna get up early got right in on the floor like on the wow yeah it was great anyway yeah Marv was my childhood that voice of the knicks oh absolutely absolutely i have a theory that most uh contemporary uh nba uh broadcasters play-by-play guys sound a little bit like him like just a little bit and and i'm like oh yeah i saw i saw my uh fratello uh we i don't know what feed we were getting yeah he was calling games uh, at the oh, end, of, nice. and I was like, "What the hell? This is amazing!" Anyway, sorry, that's all for my youth. My point was this: uh, you're talking to Dave, and uh, I want to ask you about that experience in a moment. But one thing that struck me was he kind of was asking you about kind of your goals as a comedian and and where you thought you were going to be. I'm paraphrasing, by the way, and you said, "Well, I mean, you joked like, what's going to be better than this?" But you yeah. also made a comment that led me to think that you're like, "This is what I do." I don't ha- I don't want to be on a sitcom. I don't necessarily want to be doing any like comedy, being on the road, being a stand up. That's who I am. Is that an accurate characterization? Yeah, without question. I mean, it was never I, it's funny cuz Dave is so curious and that's what makes him a great interviewer, one of the many things that makes him a great interviewer, but he didn't really understand the idea of putting out one of my, you know, I put out some specials on YouTube. He's like, I don't understand how this works. I was like, well, there's a lot of money in touring is how it works. And it's a different era. You know, with Dave, I think the, the plan was I get on stage, someone discovers me and I get a sitcom and thank God there are ways to circumvent the industry these days. And the funny thing is like for me to do a sitcom now, Look, I, I, if I did it, it was because I want to do it. Like, I, I, there are things I want to make. There are things that would fulfill me creatively. But stand up is, is my favorite thing to do. I love coming up with a new hour. I love 
working on jokes and there is more money to be made in stand-up, I think. I mean, unless you're a mega movie star, there's a lot of money to be made doing this as opposed to, you know, acting right now where they're on a picket line. Mm -hmm. I don't really trust, I don't really have a lot of faith in the, uh, the system and I never did. And I think that's why you put a special on YouTube because I didn't think they saw me. I didn't think I was going to be discovered and I felt that I wasn't. And I, and the irony of, of everything is I remember just being crushed when HBO turned down my hour special, which ended up being the special I put out. I got this on YouTube, which is over 12 million views yeah. on YouTube. And you know, when you get those kind of numbers, it really, really helps you on the road and, and changes a lot in your life. And, Looking back, I'm like, holy shit, if it was on HBO, I, I would be in a, a worse place. I mean, I guess there's a prestige factor and they make a lot of cool stuff, but there's a power in in going around them. And uh, and and as I said, I would. there are comics I know who held on to the hour too long. They held on to their material yeah. too long. And when you do that, you're giving them the power. For me, it was like, I'm done with this shit. I like these jokes. They're going to exist somewhere. I didn't put it out for them. I put it out because I'm like, this is done. So uh, it wasn't about a payday. It was about moving forward as a comedian and trying to still go on. And and I, you get sick of jokes. You overcook hours. Yeah. David Cross was on the show to talk about uh, something he did that was similar, although I think his show, his uh, special uh, was, I think, behind a paywall. Like you had to pay to get it. It wasn't just on YouTube. Uh, recently, Hari Kondabulu was on the show to talk about his own special. There's a lot, and they both said the same thing you're saying. It was, I didn't want to jump through the, I didn't want to wait because the special would get stale. And also, you get dicked around by these companies because they're like, well, we've got a release schedule and you'll have to wait and we're not so sure if it's going to do well. And now you also reference this strike, which is about power and control, among other things, among, among other things and residuals. Do you think, these giant companies are starting to go, uh-oh, they, these guys don't need us. Like, we're starting to, this is where I'm coming from right now. Do you feel like the, the companies actually, like, can they actually help you? Like, does it that's actually a, benefit? That's a, well, that's a good question, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think they can help you. I think they definitely have, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they have resources and uh, power and reach. Of course, they can help you. Uh, 12 million views, did you say? Is that what you said? I, over that on YouTube. So what what are they going to get you? That's amazing. Even well, if it's I, let's be honest, always... like 10, 10, 10 million of those are probably bots, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean it, it, they do have resources and they have yeah. money and they have power. I mean, but it, the funny thing, I was watching like I was on Hulu the other night watching a rerun of an old show called Boston Legal with James Spader oh, yeah. and William Shatner. William Shatner, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The budget this show must have had, it's like a random episode. They're in a helicopter. They're in like all these different, you know, I'm like, oh my God, shit has really changed. Now, you know, the writer's rooms are not around. It, they'll do like six to eight episodes instead of 24. So the writers don't yeah. have the same protection. The residuals, are, I get residuals in the mail that are like, I don't even really open them anymore. I'm like, this is like fucking, I, why? So I can open it up and get three sense for a part i did yeah. on inside amy schumer or something <laughs> you know it's like uh it's it's hilarious to open them but no they're greedy greedy uh ceos who are making way too much money and and i've said this a bunch but i'll say it again like i, I find the ceos to be more replaceable than 
uh, writers, especially when we see what they're making. CEOs are essentially people algorithms, right? Yeah. I mean, I go on TikTok, algorithm. That's not a person. That's a fucking bot. That, you know, so that the algorithm being like, you'll like this. You'll like this. Well, that's essentially what a CEO does, right? Yeah. You'll like yeah. this. So to me, what are you, what are you trying to, if you're going to replace anyone, who's more replaceable? Uh, the, the person who's making a hundred million a years with bonuses or the people that are, you know, poor people want to connect to writers too. At least I do. I, I love good yeah. writers. So I think I, I love movies. I love old movies. I love, I love the experience of old. I, I love the stories of old Hollywood. I love movie history. I love reading books about old Hollywood. And I, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm a criterion guy, I like watching movies on there as opposed to the streamers for the most part anyway. Cause yeah. Cause I feel like I, even if I don't love the movie, I'm like, well, that's like a fucking piece of history right there. It's so cool. So yeah, I hope they resolve it, but uh, yeah, I think they can help to answer your your question in a long winded way. But I I think they have to really look at their business model, and I think Netflix's model was probably not sustainable with how much money they were spending and how much they charged. And I think we all saw this a mile away. I think yeah. when they were like, "Hey, we'll pay Eddie Murphy eighty million for a stand up special," and you're like, "Well, that's a lot of money." When let's do the math real quick. Uh, this is just one of fucking 800 things you're putting out this month and you're paying, you have how many new subscribers? I did, it didn't make sense to anyone. So yeah, I, yeah, I think they have to figure out, you know, maybe your business model was the problem and not paying people for their work. I appreciate that you have a Netflix special and we're all very grateful to that company for putting that out. Let's say <laughs> Me that. Me too. I, oh, I, Netflix. Yeah, for sure. I had a, I had a great time filming that special and I, uh, and I'm proud of it. So, you know, it's brilliant. I want people to check it out. I'll link to it in the, in the Thank show you, notes man. and whatnot. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about is the, the COVID thing you'd made. Uh, sorry, I, 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 it's, is it called up on the roof? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a really remarkable thing. You're you're talking uh, about your passion for stuff and 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 comedians' passion for stuff. I, I want to say, among other things, like beyond the sort of um, I get it's not even novelty to me. Like I appreciated what you were doing there and and trying to make the best out of a tough situation. But one of the things that really comes through for me is your joy and your love of your craft. Like to do that much hustling and and figure out a way to get people together to experience comedy. I didn't get the impression you were, I know that the whole thing is centered around you and your act and, and, and all the effort you put into it and all the crew and everyone. It's just remarkable. It also reminds me a bit of that get back movie. Have you seen that? The Beatles movie? What's that? Have you seen the Beatles movie? Oh, I haven't seen it. No. <laughs> well, the whole premise at the end is that they're, I know the song. Well, there's the song, but, uh, the, one of the things in that documentary, other than them fighting about writing, uh, relatively shoddy songs for them is there's a a, a specter that they're going to do a rooftop concert and how are we going to a concert somewhere and it ends up being at the last minute kind of on the roof you you don't know this i thought maybe you were because some of the sh- was this was this the one on disney plus or no? yeah yeah i don't know if you're a beatles guy i couldn't get i could i am but i couldn't get through that shit it was like it was like <laughs> you know they're just like dicking around i felt like a like a peeping tom or something i was like what the hell is this i think uh, i wondered about that because as a musician myself or as someone who's played in a, a lot of bands uh and during during this pandemic and for me i moved i moved from ontario to alberta I don't have that anymore. So for me, it was like, this is band practice. This is exactly what it's like, working out stuff. 
And yeah, for some people, it's a complete drag. Like, why am I going to watch? Fucking- I love the music. Yeah, but man. yeah, it did nothing for me. It was too long too. It did, and I, I, it was Peter Jackson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved his his World War One thing he did. I thought that was really good. Yeah, but you don't like his other stuff, the Lord of the the the. the Lord- I never saw a Lord of the Rings movie in my life. Because you're not a nerd. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I, I'm open to seeing them. I just I don't know why I never uh, saw them. I, no, I'm open to seeing them. I, I, there, there's some like we watched one with. I have a family movie night here, and so we we cycle through. We somebody picked one of them. Some fun. of the some of the guys. One of the guys from those movies was on a. Uh, I was on Jim Norton's radio show years ago, and they were like, "Do you want a picture with him?" Because I guess he was like a big star, but I didn't know who it was. And I was like, "Oh no, that's all right." No, like, take a picture with him. And I took. A, I forgot who it was. We take a picture, and I was like, "That's I don't even know the." Fuck it was but i don't want to be rude at that point they were like building it up uh so that's but, your, uh, that's your main connection to lord of the rings anyway i i took us down a tangent there my point was the roof uh that was the rooftop yeah. stuff um yeah i just want to say like your love of your of your craft really comes through there but obviously uh as you look back on that that time and where you're at now do you see a shift in what the road is kind of like you've been doing some road work you've been touring again is the is the road weird at the moment? No, I like it. I think there was definitely a period, and I think movie theaters are experiencing this now because uh, I read an article about this. But you know, yeah, when I first started doing shows again, people did not know how to behave in public. Mm-hmm. Like it had been a while, so there was bad drunken behavior for a period. And I, and I was reading how this is happening at movies, but yeah, no, I, I thought I, the road's been great for me. I've been really fortunate it was the first theater tour i went on so the crowds were oh, nice. like i think they felt that i think they realized that the, that the you know the, the, the no they've been great I've, I've been spoiled with with really good crowds lately but i'm sure it'll get rough again once i have to burn this hour and start at zero again which will suck but for now it's been killer <laughs> so you got a new hour that we haven't heard yet is that about right well yeah i'm, I'm gonna tape in march i think okay i'll tape. I, I, I i i'm pretty pleased with where it's at but I, I i'd like some time i've rushed pretty much every special of my life uh except the first one and now this one so yeah i'm 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 gonna chill for a minute and try to make sure it's in a really good place why do you reckon you rush them uh, fear of being forgotten and of, uh, you know, really it being the only way I knew how to get new fans and, and to continue moving and, and working. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I no question rushed every single one. <laughs> it doesn't come across to me. It seems very well honed and, uh, you see. Well, it's cause it. I, I do the road probably more than almost anyone. I, I, I don't know how many comics. I have maybe a couple friends of mine who go insanely hard in the road, but yeah, I don't. When you're doing that many club weekends, your shit is going to be tight because you're just working. You're tr- you're saying it so many times. You're ba- you're basically saying jokes till you hate them and have to try new lines. So yeah. that's a good way to write. It, it's you get bored up there, and that's where alcohol can come in handy. Mm. How many days a year do you reckon you're on the road? I don't know. A lot. Uh, you know, now more than ever because. Besides just the shows, you know, I'll, I'll get a thing like you, you should do these podcasts. You should do like a run of podcasts in L.A. to promote these gigs. You should do, you know, you yeah. go to Texas for a few days. So it, it, there's other uh, stuff now that I have to do that I didn't used to have to do. So right. that, that makes it that makes it harder. But uh, 
Is this a subtle you know, cheap shot at me right now? You're on a podcast. I hope everything's okay. Well, I hope it's this, going well. This one's at home. I didn't have to fly to Alberta for this shit. But uh, no, this is easy. But uh, no, sometimes you know, with with you know, you throw in a flight, jet yeah. lag, all that stuff. It, I, I did a bunch of pods in LA last week, and I was like, man, I'm fucking tired. I'm definitely. Yeah. One of them was three hours, and I was having. It was with Whitney Cummings. We were having a blast. I was laughing my ass off. We, yeah. I felt we had a great report, but I was like, "Damn, I landed like two hours ago, uh, New York to L.A., and we just bounced uh, ripping it hours. right away." Yeah, and that's... then we ended, I ended up doing three spots that night. So you know, it's hard to not do stuff. I like to be busy, and and as you were saying, like, yeah, I do love what I do. So during COVID, when there was nothing else to do, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, fuck, it's either this or just be home alone like what i mean come on I, I love doing this i miss it i was doing other people's outdoor shows where they'd be like you stage time was it was like it was an open micer again We're talking about this earlier when i was handing out flyers stage time was valuable again it didn't matter yeah. that so many people would just watch my special which by the way i put out a free special to tour off i put it out in february 2020 so not a lot of touring going on at that time yeah and I was like, I, so you, yeah, I was scared. I was like, let me put something else out because by the time this is over, I don't want to lose the momentum I just got. So that's why I did the rooftop special as well. But yeah, I want to stay busy. Yeah, I think I put out two specials that year. That fucking kicked my ass. <laughs> was, well, like I say, they're brilliant, and I'm cognizant of Thank the time. You, so I want to, I want to start to wrap up. But uh, I'd be remiss. You're coming to Canada again. How many times you've been to Canada? A bunch, I think. No. Yes. This year, this year I've done Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Montreal, and and I'll be in yeah, I'll be coming to Toronto uh, September twenty first. Have you been to Toronto a, before? Mer- Meridian Hall, yeah, I love Toronto. I actually yeah. opened for Amy Schumer where the Raptors play once, so that was pretty cool. Oh, at the uh, Scotia Bank Arena. Crazy, crazy to like. <laughs> you're literally like jogging out to do your set and you're like that's kyle lowry's face this is crazy <laughs> so uh yeah pretty pretty legit uh, yeah toronto crowds are i would say you know as good as a as canadian crowds get i love toronto crowds uh i mean i i like a lot of canadian crowds but uh toronto's up there as a new yorker do you have a particular uh perspective on canada you're pretty close to our country uh, in a way. Well, I mean, you're in New York City. You're not that close in a way, but uh, you're pretty close. Uh, any particular, you know, relationship with Canada yourself? Yeah, I mean, Montreal as a city I love. I, I don't love the crowds quite as much. I, I For whatever reason, I, I had a great pop-up show there recently, but then I did the theater, and man, were they drunk. It was just like not oh. my favorite crowd. It was during the fest, but it, the show ended up being fun because I brought my friend Mark Norman was with me. I had Ilara hosting and we just started, I brought them back on stage and we started riffing after my show and, and that was fun. And then Brad Williams showed up and you're like, holy shit, what a gift. Now we just get little people jokes is killer. So, uh, <laughs> this was, this was fun. And then, uh, yeah, Vancouver is such a beautiful city. I love, you know, it's, it's a longer trip, but, uh, yeah, I did a run of Vancouver down to Seattle and then Portland. And man, what a beautiful run that is. Like, uh, yeah. killer killer shows and Toronto's just always been awesome. I just yeah, I love coming to Toronto. So you have a real firsthand experiences in various cities because of your work. But I guess where I'm coming from is, as an American, you've got uh, Mexico below, Canada's right. your hat. You know we're America's hat. Sure. Do you think about the way we are, the way we do? You, I know most Americans don't even like whatever. I don't know who cares. But do you think about Canada in any particular way, like beyond the crowd differences and just culturally? Are we are we similar and 
Or sorry. Yeah, I think you. I think yeah. you are. I kind of. I mean, I do the thing where I make comparisons when I'm in the city, where I'm like, "Oh, uh, Edmonton, you're like Dallas," or you know what I mean. Or I'll be like, <laughs> "Oh, uh, Calgary, you're like maybe Denver or something," you yeah. know. Uh, Montreal is like, you know, I feel like Toronto is probably your New York. And yeah, Montreal or Chicago is, like, is, is Toronto or, or Chicago? Chicago? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but because Montreal is then like kind of got some New York qualities, but it's yeah. kind of ultimately New Orleans because it's kind of like mayhem, mm. and uh, you know the, the you're like you, both cities. You're like, have you been to the strip club? You know, and then uh, <laughs> of course the French influence in both cities. So yeah. uh, I mean, I mean Montreal, they speak way more of it. Yes, but uh, yeah. you know, and then Vancouver is like kind of a. It's, Probably like, you know, West Coast. It's like, you know, SF maybe, something like that. Yeah, okay. So your main thing as an American is to come to Canada and just compare us to other American cities. Is that what you're saying? That's kind of what, well, as a comedian, that's what I do. And I'm like, this is what this crowd will be like. No, as, as no, look, my friend told me the other day, I was talking to a comedian who's like, I'm moving to Vancouver. I'm like, I'll, he's like, I'm fucking done with America. Wow. I'm done with American politics. Trump is going to win again. I'm out. And, uh, he's, I think the first person who said it where I was like, man, he might go. Cause I think a lot of people, which is probably not fair to you, they use your country as a threat. They're like, they're like, this shit is so bad. I'm going there. I'm like, that's not a compliment. <laughs> Well, yeah, I see what you're saying, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to even comment on this. We have our problems too. I'll say that. Oh yeah, we have, we have like for sure. And and to be honest, what what the media sensationalizes is the kind of mega esque. So we had a, a we we had something up here called the Freedom Convoy. All of the people in their trucks drove to Ottawa to protest the government. And right, it was right, like a yeah. diet coup. Like they weren't really going to do anything. <laughs> Or, or rather, a diet yeah. insurrection. Like it wasn't quite enough, but it was disruptive, and it really. Canadians, I think, are often like, "Oh shit, we're just like Americans. Like it's not. We're not higher than them. We're not, you know, high and mighty. What? We're just like them. We got our. We got racism. We got in, genocide has occurred here. It's a Everywhere. fucked up place. So. Everywhere, yeah. I like diet insurrection. It's you know just just as dangerous, but same great taste. <laughs> and uh, no, it, yeah, no. It's it's everywhere has got everywhere in the world has problems, yeah. and I think that's. I mean, you don't have to look far. You just turn on the news. I think I BBC on behind me, and I'm like, yeah, this is. It's weirdly comforting that you're instead of being like, oh my god, the world's bad. You're like, well, everywhere's fucked. We'll everywhere is out. fucked. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it does feel I that just, way. That's kind yeah. of that kind of helps, and it's like you know. That's why I like what I do. I feel like my job is to like go into a city and just be like, uh, just to make people laugh and then leave. It's, it's something. I'm like the opposite of a hitman. I feel like you know. <laughs> you're like uh, you're like Robin Hood, uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if you're like Robin. No, Hood. I don't Never think mind. I'm Robin. You're Hood. not Robin Hood. No. No. You're not giving to the poor no. necessarily. But you're you're, you're no, I'm, coming through town and cheering us up, and then you split. I think I'm taken from the poor, and then Ticketmaster's <laughs> really taken from the poor. Yeah, that's a Ticketmaster's <laughs> fucking everybody. So I assume, can I assume, can we assume that uh, your new hour reflects uh, the, the state of the world in any way in particular, or is it more? Yeah, there's some, there's yeah. some social. I'm never really like political, but there's like some social stuff in there and uh, personal stories and, and silly jokes. And uh, it's kind of the same recipe with just new stuff and. Politics yeah, is an I, I interesting like term. My wife really loved the. It's an opening joke on one of your recent specials about the the difference between a cop and a teacher. Yeah. And my wife just thought that was very very. She's like Jesus. That she just thought the misdirection there was very funny. So, I think that was vaguely political, socio political. What do you think? 
Yeah, I guess it, there's, you know, it's a, it's, it's, I look at it as social commentary. I don't think it's like political. I'm not like condemning either side, really. I no. think that's more like, I think I, when I think a political comic, I think they're leaning hard into one side. And I don't like that. I really like yeah. to, you know, I like that people from both sides can come to my show. And I don't think it's my job to tell people how to think. I think that's pretty, uh, I don't like when entertainers do that. Uh, you know, but then, you know, inevitably certain bits will have a, an angle and a stance. So I think, I think I heard Jimmy Carr once say, I don't tell people what I think I leak. And I think that's kind of true for me as well. But, uh, so you leak where you stand on stuff, but I don't, I don't like to hammer people with it. Sure. And I think that feels more political and I don't like partisan comedy. So yeah, that joke is, yeah, I'm making fun of cops essentially. Uh, and I'm kind of saying like the joke that misdirect is basically saying teachers get shot more than cops. And it's, but I think that's a joke that should hopefully be funny to cops and teachers. It's, it's more about the, the, the switch on the joke and, uh, you know, yeah, look, I dabble. If something funny comes to me, I want it to hit everywhere. I want it to, but then occasionally you have one, you're like, this is going to piss someone off, but I just think it's really funny. So fuck it. But, uh. You, you could know. do you do a joke like that one, and then you'll do a run of let's say abortion jokes. Uh, let's just throw that topic out there. I don't know. But then what I it also is. make fun of the I make fun of the protesters. At, you know, because I'm doing the joke about the cops, but then I make fun of the I do the joke about the Black Lives Matter protesters. How every one of them likes to climb a tree. You know, and right? So I kind of I kind of flip it back. I, I want to make fun of both sides. I want everyone to laugh, and I think yeah. it was. And I think you're one of those people that protests. You think it's funny too, you know. I, I was at one of those people that protests, and it made me laugh seeing dudes just climbing. I was like, "What are you doing?" So, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think you, there's fun in making fun of everyone, and I think I'm not doing it in such a harsh way that the person getting hit shouldn't laugh at it. No, you know? that's what I was trying to get to there. Yeah, I think it's equal opportunity comedy and uh, offense anyone might be offended but at the same time i will say you have a lightness to you sam that i appreciate it's having seen a lot of comedy studied a lot of comedy like i just appreciate your the levity that you bring to these heavy topics if if you does that make sense thank you yeah no i mean i think if you're going to go to a a heavier topic like that it's got to be silly or or else why why go there? So I, yeah. my mom will, will sometimes call me a dark comedian. I'm like, well, I think these are light jokes. I think the topics are dark. But uh, I think the jokes are actually pretty silly and, and, and light. So I, I disagree with that. I know when something is uh, uh, tricky when my wife, what was the joke? Uh, I'm going to, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to mangle it too much, but I'll say that the punchline is the baby's name was Charisma. And my wife <laughs> goes... Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh some know the baby's name. Uh, chivalry. Chivalry. Sorry, I got charisma in the wrong right. Yeah, I, I knew I was going to yeah, fuck it, it up. Abor- yeah. It was an abortion yeah. joke, and I go, chivalry, chivalry is dead. I go, that was the baby's that name. That was the baby's name. So uh, that is a very harsh joke, but my wife both said, Jesus, but laughed. So that, to me, is a good litmus test. Sorry, I fucked up the joke. See, this is why I shouldn't t- tell other people's jokes. That's, that's, a, that's a big compliment, because that's kind of the type of comedy that got me into comedy, is when I was a kid, my mom saw me laughing on my uh, disc man, and she was like, what is he listening to? I was so young. She grabbed my headphones and put it on, and it was Chris Rock's album, Roll With The New, and... <laughs> I just saw this look of horror come over my mom's face, followed by her laughing. And I was like, wow, that's fucking, that, that's beautiful that Chris Rock has that ability to, to push you here and then pull you right back. And that's kind of yeah. what, why I fell in love with Rock's comedy at such a young age, because it was so, 
he was so good at pissing you off in the setup and then making you fucking howl with laughter yeah. by the end of the joke. I mean, it's my favorite types of jokes. Definitely someone I've enjoyed seeing live uh, uh, more than a few times. So I appreciate that too. Listen, Sam, I really want to thank you for all this time. I think we went. I appreciate longer, it. Thank longer you. than we were supposed to. No, no problem. A couple of things I want to give you an opportunity to plug. I, we, you hinted at a new special. That's great news, but I want to give you a chance to talk about any other future projects coming up. We've mentioned your show in Toronto, but anything else you're working on? And then after that, uh, if people want to learn more about you, can you direct them to wherever they should go? Can you do those things for us? I'm all over the road at samorel.com slash show. So, you know, Toronto is the the 21st. I'll be, you know, the big one coming up is the theater at Madison Square Garden, November 4th. I'll be at the Chicago Theater, September 30th. All the, all the tickets on my website. I've, I've got a whiskey called Bodega Cat Whiskey, which you can get at bodegacatwhiskey.com. I don't know if you can get it to Canada yet, but we're working on it. And mm-hmm. uh we have a podcast called We Might Be Drunk with uh, with Mark Norman and myself and uh, lots of fun stuff coming up, but uh, that's really the, the bulk of it. And uh, this is fun. It's fun talking to you. Thank you, Vish. No, no, I appreciate I appreciate that very much, Sam. Now, the one thing I usually do with musicians in particular and comedians, we go out on something. Now, you have albums, you have specials. I wonder, is there something we can go out on? Uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot and I'm going to stall to give you time to think about this, but is there a a bit from one of your recent uh, releases or something that we can play for people uh, just to give them a, a sense of your comedy. Well, you said, you said like social commentary. So if you want to play a bit, play the, I like that Marjorie Taylor Greene joke I do in my, in my last special where she uh, says it wasn't just Jews in the Holocaust. Right. And I, the one where I say, well, it was kind of our thing though, you know, <laughs> and then it, it ends on a fun Jehovah's witness joke. <laughs> yes. I, uh, so I, I, that, that's one of my favorite bits in the special. Cause okay. I like a, I like a Holocaust joke that I feels like it's never been done before. Oh, you're not the first uh, guest to say that on my show. So thank you for saying that, Sam. Uh, Sam, Mel uh, Gibson. <laughs> yeah, I'm never booking him again. Sam, thank you so much for being on my show and for giving thank me all you, this man. time. I am a big fan. And uh, welcome to Canada when you get here. And I wish you the best of luck in the future. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Marjorie Taylor Greene said she went to the Holocaust Museum. I was reading this article. No one heard. I thought the next sentence was going to be like, I don't buy it, but... <laughs> She went the other way. She said it was actually way worse than she thought. Also a weird thing for an adult to be like, you guys might not know this, but the Holocaust was really bad. <laughs> but then she said, it wasn't just Jews in those camps. And I was like, yeah, but it was our, it was our thing. <laughs> if you're a non-Jew in a concentration camp, I bet you were looking around like, is there someone I can talk to? I think, <laughs> I think a mistake has been made. Everyone around you is complaining. You're like, you think you have it bad. I'm not even supposed to be here. (laughs) She said Jehovah's Witnesses were in the concentration camps. Isn't it crazy that there was a time where people would knock on their door and they were like, shit. (laughs) You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, if you know me at all, you know I don't much care for that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't think I've ever talked about that on the show, but you could probably pick that up, right? Anyway, it was really nice to talk to Sam Morrell. Thank you, Sam, for being on the show. It was a, a real pleasure. We're a fan of his comedy in my house, as I mentioned a few times there, and uh, he's very funny. So thanks again, Sam. And this, by the way, for those of you listening, is the 802nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. We have a page still. You can also follow the show on Twitter. We have Twitters still. Uh, The show you can follow at Vish Creative. You can also follow me directly at Vish Khanna. And I'm also on uh, Blue Sky and uh, TikTok and some other things too. So just look for me and hopefully you find the right me. Also visit Patreon.com slash Creative Control to make a flexible monthly donation keep this show going six dollars american or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content you get the episodes earlier than everybody else uh there's t-shirts for sale there well for in exchange for the donation i don't know if they're for sale per se you know what i mean six dollars american more or more a month gets you access to that kind of stuff and if you like a t-shirt just message me on patreon and i'll get you one while supplies last i actually just sent one to uh, tennessee Tennis, isn't it funny you make a thing in Canada and someone in Tennessee wants one of your t-shirts? That's kind of a fun thing. I like that. Anyway, doesn't have to be $6. You can do less. You can do more. Whatever suits you, just visit my Patreon. And if you can donate today, that would be great. Thank you so much. I also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, each... Uh, wonderful independent businesses in their own right, and they provide in-kind support for this show, so thanks to them. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music he uh, has written for this show. To learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Sam Morell. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll uh, check out his funny specials and go see him live. He's all over the place, as I mentioned in the introduction. He's in Canada and the States in the coming months uh, and he's also going to be in Australia so if you're listening in Australia go check out Sam Morrell. I'm sure you'll have a good time otherwise please consider subscribing to this podcast or telling your friends about it and spreading the word about uh, creative control it all helps I'll talk to you very soon I hope you're well there but yeah we'll talk soon bye for now
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.